Here's that gospel again. You've heard it before. The folks at 8 o'clock were definitely listening to it because when I said the gospel of the Lord at the conclusion, there was a long pause before they finally remembered, praise be to God. I said, I could tell you were listening because this is such an annoying story. It grabs you right in your gut and you say, oh my gosh, I hate this one. This is so unfair how this works out that the last get paid the same as the first. And do I want to be first or do I want to be last? You know, it, it brings all of these kind of questions into us because of the emotional connection of this gospel story. It packs a punch. And my friends, it is 2,000 years old. It astounds me anyway that this story from 2,000 years ago can still just be such a zinger. I decided to do a little work on why or how we know it's zinginess here in this day and age. And I googled to see about the income equality or lack thereof between women and men. And guess what? It's still the same. Women still do make about 80 cents on the dollar. And gosh, that is so irritating. And the projection um, put out by the American Association of University Women, it said that women will equal pay with men if we continue at the rate as we are now in 2119. That's 100 years from now. I dare say the brown girls will not be around anymore by the time that equality happens. And you know what? That's hard to swallow. It is evident in all kinds of places, even in the church, I dare say. I have a colleague who was in engagement with a particular congregation about coming to be their rector, and they gave her the financial package. And when it, she looked at it, she thought, that seems kind of small. But she wasn't sure. Clergy often aren't sure. Our compensation is difficult to do the math with, especially if a rectory comes as part of it. So it gets confusing about really what our compensation is. But something in her didn't set right. And so she decided to reach out to the diocesan leadership to see if they had any guidelines or awareness for her to do her math or get a sense of. And they didn't. And so she finally decided to ask a question. Now, this is a sticky thing for clergy because, well, maybe you don't know, maybe you do. People don't like for clergy to talk about their compensation. It's a touchy subject. But she decided that she had to ask if she were a man, the same age and the same experience, what would they be offering? And they came back and said, $20,000 more. Yes, exactly. Now, I have to hand it to the congregation for being honest. But golly, that hurts, man. And this story reminds us of that kind of pain. I looked a little more at the minimum wage conversation that's happening around our nation. It's always coming around again for a conversation. And of course, you might know that there are national guidelines for what a minimum wage is, but different regions can adapt it as it's relevant to their particular circumstance. And so there was an article about this one little small town that was trying to reconcile themselves to the minimum wage of $15 because 
They believed it was an honest pay for an adult in a minimum wage position, but they were like, a high school junior? Really? Do we need to pay a high school junior $15 knowing that they're going to work here for maybe a few semesters, a year at most? Yeah, that gets to us, doesn't it? This conversation about what is the right value to put on someone's work. Because it means our value. We interpret it as how valuable we are. And if you've ever had a conversation, even with your own kid, about what they should ask for babysitting, or to walk the dog, or to mow the lawn, you get into this pretty quickly. And so Jesus tells this story 2,000 years ago, and those people feel just like we feel when the topic is brought up. The guy at the, that was one of the first hired says, you value them as much as us? And that is the point that Jesus is trying to address. This isn't about your value according to the work that you've done. It never is with God. God is generous. That's the point of the story. God is generous. That messes with us a little bit. I mean, we like it when God is generous to us as we have hoped God would be generous to us, specifically in this way. But when God decides to be generous as God wants to, well, we kind of take issue with that. You know, I did ministry in um, Pennsylvania before coming here, and sometimes people hear Benjamin Franklin quotes, um, and they um, get them mixed up with the Bible. And one such quote is, God helps those who help themselves. So I'm pretty sure it's Benjamin Franklin. And um, I was talking with a friend of mine there, a really good, close friend, who's a devoted, faithful Christian man. And I said, you know that that's nowhere in the Bible. And he said, really? I said, really? I said, it's really actually antithetical to the gospel message. And he said, but isn't there something in like one of Paul's letters that talks about that? I said, no. He said, there's something, though, that could be interpreted. I said, no. No. But you know what? God is faithful, and God is generous. And when we do the work of paying attention, we begin to discover it. So maybe that's where we get a little bit confused. Our work is to notice and to live in response to God's generosity. The kingdom of heaven, as it's described in Matthew's Gospel. Jesus talks about it a lot in Matthew's Gospel. The kingdom of heaven is not a static location. It's not a static thing. It's not over there or just beyond the rainbow or on the other side of our mortality. Jesus tells the disciples and all the people that he speaks to that the kingdom of heaven has come near. It's in relationship to him that the kingdom of heaven is made known. And so in Jesus' telling the story this morning, he reminds us that the kingdom of heaven is in relationship with him. It's in relationship with the living God that we know in Jesus that we begin to discover that God is generous. And I think we can make that kingdom known by doing three things. One is to notice God's generosity. Two, is to live our lives in response to the fact that God is generous.
And three is to promote God's generosity in the world. When we do those three things, when we take notice, when we live our lives in response, and when we promote it in the world, the kingdom is where we are. It blows our mind a little bit because we really would like for it to be a destination because, golly, this is a long road. But God is reminding us in Jesus that the kingdom is here. It's come near. And in relationship with the living God, we discover what that means. So first of all, to take notice that God is generous. This statement can be a prayer. God, how can I notice your generosity? How can you make that known to me? It's already evident, but I might be a little bit blind. Help me to see it. I think people do this when they talk about mindfulness or when they have a gratitude journal to take a moment to notice, oh my gosh, look what I have been given. Wow, all of that today. Some of the ways it becomes most profound to me is in creation. You know, I, I look at the altar flowers before the 8 o'clock service just because I'm standing in the hallway, and I get blown away that this stuff just grows. Someone cut it and put it together in this way. There's probably like six plants in this arrangement, and that's only six. Look at the abundance of God all around us. What are some other ways that you have become aware of God's generosity? So one of the main things of living in the kingdom is to take notice to take notice of the generosity of God. The second is to live our lives in response to it. It is tempting to think that we can't bank on God. It is tempting to say, well, it was really nice of God then, but I don't know if God will come through again, and to live our lives accordingly. We can even fool ourselves into thinking that that's the smart way. But God is inviting us to bank on it. And so sometimes we need to remind ourselves of God's generosity. And the times before, then we thought, oh, golly, God won't come through. I don't know if God's going to come through. And then we see that God came through, probably in ways we didn't expect. That's what we do when we come together every Sunday. We recall the stories again of God's goodness in our lives because we forgot somewhere, maybe around Wednesday or Thursday, it started to fade from our memory. So we sludge in here by Sunday and say, what was it again? I, was, I, I remembered last week. How is it that we are reminded of the generosity of God? Just in the physical act of coming to this table, we're giving an illustration of the generosity of God. We didn't do anything to deserve this. We tried to do something to deserve it, but even those efforts fell short. How is it that you live in response to the generosity of God? It takes a lifetime of practice, but it's in the very practice that we discover the kingdom. And the third thing is how do you promote the generosity of God in the world? We think of generosity as a financial thing, but there are other ways to be generous. The story from today shows that people were given what they didn't earn. That's the power in the story. So how is it that you can be generous in your lives? Maybe it's with money, but it also might be with forgiveness. It might be with patience. It might be with kindness, mercy, compassion, love, 
These are some examples of giving even beyond what's earned. If you've ever had an experience of giving something that wasn't earned to someone, you will know the profoundness of that gift. You will know how amazingly generous that is. And it is a delight to witness the recipient receive it. Those are the three things that we can do to make the kingdom of God known in our lives. It's tempting to think of it as a static spot that we're going to create it. And we take up issues of social justice thinking, why isn't this done already for crying out loud? We've been working on this. If you want to take women's pay, we've been working on it for a really long time already. Still, we're not there. We could be tempted to try to make the kingdom of God a static spot, something that will be achieved, and then we will be, have arrived, and then we will be done. But God invites us in union with Christ to know the kingdom of God here and now. Nothing stands in the way of that. Not even economic injustice. It is difficult to think of the kingdom of God as a dynamic reality as opposed to a static thing. The disciples had trouble with it too. You might remember in John's Gospel when Jesus is with his disciples and telling them about what's going to happen. This is after they, he's washed their feet and they're sitting at the table together and he tells them what's going to happen in the next few days. And he tells them that he's going to be leaving them. And he says, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And where I go, I will come back for you and take you there with me. Does that sound familiar to you? If it does, too, because maybe because it's part of our um, funeral liturgy. It's one of the options for the gospel text in the funeral liturgy. So Jesus is telling this to his disciples. These are people that have been hanging with him solidly, close to three years. And Thomas says, Jesus, we don't know the way because we don't know where you're going. He says, how can we know the way when we don't know where you're going? Now, this Thomas is the one that we refer to as Doubting Thomas, but that's really an unfortunate and limited understanding of Thomas. He was a man of very deep faith. In, earlier in John's Gospel, in the 11th chapter, if you'll indulge me for half a second, for the sake of that disciple, in the 11th chapter of John, when Jesus is away with his disciples and he gets word that Lazarus is sick, you might remember that he decides not to go back right away. He stays in this remote area with his disciples. And then he says to his disciples after a few days, it's time to go back to Mary and Martha's house, which is right outside of Jerusalem. And his disciples say, are you serious? Do you not remember the last time we were there? They tried to stone you to death? And Jesus says, we need to go back. And it's Thomas that says to the other disciples, let us go and die with him. So Thomas is a man of deep faith. He's trying to put together this invitation that Jesus has given, first to the disciples, and then, as they will soon discover, to the world. This invitation of union with God through Jesus. And so when he says to Jesus, we don't know where you're going, how can we know the way? Jesus says, I'm the way. It's through me relationship with me that you will find the kingdom of God. It's in union with me, mystical union with me, 
that the kingdom is made known in and through you because you are one with me as I am one with the Father. Does this sound familiar? Jesus is saying, in union with me, the kingdom is made known. And so the invitation to us is to be in union with God through Jesus. That's how we discover the kingdom. We must resist all temptations to make it a static thing that we will someday arrive at. It doesn't mean we don't take up the wrongs of the world, the inequalities and the injustices, but we take them up because that's what love calls us to do. We take up the issue of economic inequality not because we think that our value is found in our income, but because our value is not found in our income. Jesus invites us into that reality. And so that is our invitation today. Our invitation to come into union with Christ so that we can know the generosity of God. The kingdom of heaven has come near, Jesus says. I am generous. Come into relationship with me. That's the invitation. So that you can know the generosity that I am. Amen.